Hi, welcome. This is David Davis, one of Portland's consultants, former FA executive director, and a proud member of the British Olympic Association for almost a decade. So I'm really pleased to welcome to our show today, Denise Lewis, heptathlete and Olympic gold medal winner, and one of our truly greatest athletes. Denise reached the very top of her sport in the days before Great Britain was second in the world in the winning of Olympic medals. Today, she's a mother of four, a commentator, a pundit, and someone who, to my knowledge, has very strong views about the way not just her sport is run, but sport in general. This is To The Point. Denise Lewis, what a pleasure, what a privilege to have you talking to us. And, you know, I want to say to you in this very special year, because it is a special year, because it's going to be Olympics year, we hope. How difficult, even damaging, has all the uncertainty been about the Olympics for athletes, do you think? Well, speaking as a former athlete myself, I'm, I firstly, I just don't know how... I would have coped under these unusual circumstances and the athletes have, I'm sure, been very resourceful, but the uncertainty really does play on your mind. You know, you've got athletes coming to what they would have assumed their end of their career. They would have highlighted 2020 as the year that they are going to move on. But that pull that you have naturally when you have competed at the highest level to continue because the Olympics are the pinnacle would have been a great desire. So you've got athletes that will have extended their year, but equally there will be athletes that probably needed that year just to get another sort of wave of training under their belt and they'll look forward to some competitions this year and maybe it will have pay dividends and be much better for them in the long term in terms of their performance pathway that um, there has been a delay. So it's I think it's been different for different types of athletes. Um, I think it has been hugely stressful for them, not only the organisers themselves. I mean, we both know that there'll be huge costs involved for, for not having the Olympics if they shouldn't go ahead. But let's say at this stage, I think you have to try to feel optimistic. You've got to focus on the things that you can do. Control the controllables is what I always used to tell myself. Things will happen around you, but the strength of an athlete is very much about just moving those stressors away from your everyday function and try to focus on what you can. We've had for Team GB extraordinary medal tallies at recent Olympic Games. Has it just been about lottery money that's made the difference or have there been other things? I think one would cite the lottery funding as has been a massive turning point for many sports um, in order to be a little bit more professional, for athletes to focus on training and getting the best medical care, accessing um, resources. So it's been a huge plus. But having said that, you know, it's... um. It still has to be business as usual for for athletes. You know, it's about getting the work done, essentially. But I, I'm I'm sure many sports are hugely grateful for for lottery funding. But still, 
athletes still always are searching for their own personal sponsors because to compete and to perform at your very best takes money. And a lot of the Olympic sports aren't particularly wealthy. Um, maybe some individuals will be able to access major sponsors um, and that will aid their, their uh, progression greatly, um, not only themselves, but their coaching staff as well. Um, but the vast majority are solely relying on, on lottery funding. I always found it extraordinary when I was privileged enough to be uh, a member of the British Olympic Association. I used to sit between the man from Taekwondo and the woman from British archery. And here was big football who had allegedly all this money, particularly at the top level. And I was actually slightly embarrassed about it, about that right from the start because it, it seemed to me that football could have helped, particularly the summer sports and the winter sports, without, uh, you know, suffering in any way whatsoever. <laughs> uh, yes, there, there are definitely the, the haves and have-nots in sports. Um, There's a huge gulf when we think about the richness that there is at elite level um, in football. And yeah, it's a real issue. I mean, one of the things I always observe just as a, a, a lay person, but someone involved in sport is how can you help somebody that is struggling. And I look think back to my own career when I was a, a lottery funded athlete, I had my personal sponsors and um, a young athlete needed help. She wanted to move from being a, a full working full time to focusing on the Olympics. And what I did was partly fund her so she could, you know, she could join me in training camps and she could access the medical staff. So I relinquished part of my funding to help her. Um, that person uh, then went on to become uh, an Olympic bronze medalist in the 2004 Olympics, Kelly Sutherton. Yeah. And I'm sure she uh, not only is grateful, but it just seems to me that it was, you know, it's just something you think you can do. You know, I did, yes, I the funding was for myself, but she needed it. She benefited from it. And I'd like to see that relationship within sport where People that can help or organisations that can help other sports should do it if they can afford it. Cutting to the quick, the truth was that football, I failed to persuade football to help other sports. Do you think I was naive in trying to do that? I don't know whether it's naivety. Um, there has to be a willingness uh, from all the parties, um, whether that's at board level, you know, I think inherently players, the people that are doing the work, tend to get it. It's probably the, the senior executive that's probably more reluctant. Um, and the question would be, obviously, for them is if once you start that process, when does it, where does it end, potentially? I don't know. You, you tell me, um, what was the reluctancy? Well, the reluctance was, it's not really our business. And I always thought it was our business to help British sport as a whole and English sport in particular. But uh, I was quite astonished by the lack of enthusiasm I found, particularly at the highest levels of football for that. It's a shame. It's a shame because we could do so well. I, I know of other countries, um, and this is just going back to my athletics head, right, that work much more collaboratively than I think a lot of our NGBs and organisations. And I think we're really missing a trick 
Denise, if I say to you UK athletics and how it works, what's your instant reaction? <laughs> oh, you really put me on the spot today, aren't you? Um, well, as you know, UK athletics have gone through um, some restructuring. And I think like a handful of NGBs, um, they're having to look inward. There's been a, a major disconnect between performance and grassroots, there hasn't been enough conversation. And once you stop talking to, uh, I would say that that pyramid, that essential pyramid stops being connected, you have a problem. And those problems aren't always immediate, but through over time, they will become a problem and really glaringly apparent that, um, you know, you've sort of lost touch. Um, and so UK athletics at the moment, I believe, are, are trying to sort of repatriate, um, heal, connect, galvanize, you know, from, from the top to the bottom and, and back up again. And so they've changed personnel. And I think you're seeing that across the landscape in sport. And especially if you think to, you know, Team GB and and how the approach will be not probably highlighting medals and looking at the whole athlete as opposed to just singling out performance. There is a, a bit of a shift in, in sort of well-being for, for athletes and what performance means to them and how governing bodies can tap into to all of that. Unashamedly, there's been an emphasis over the past 15, 20 years, in a way there never was before, on elite performance and winning medals, as opposed to the grassroots. Do you think that's now got to be altered, modified? I think, as I said, the previous question is the disconnect. When you stop asking questions from the feeder of talent in that pathway from grassroots to podium, if you stop showing that you care or that it's important, um, I think there will inevitably be a problem. And yes, we have focused on performance because we needed to drive the top end of the pyramid. Um and I think that we've just been a little bit out of touch, I think. And I think a lot of NGBs are experiencing that. Um, I know athletics, for one, um, have not done enough in, in in showing the grassroots why athletics is important, that it's welcoming, and that there is there's a place for everyone within that. And when I think of some of the controversies they've had to deal with in re recent years, inquiries from UK sport and the Salazar issues and safeguarding issues and CEOs disappearing before they even take up the job, sounds almost as dysfunctional as football. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's been a succession of, of issues that have really risen to the fore um, publicly. It's It's quite damning. And I think hence the, the change of tone, the change of direction. And in some instances, um, yeah, you, you think, yeah, it's, it's very much like football. Um, but we, we tend to air our problems. I think athletics, even with the uh, drug situations, with all the problems with the Russians, IAAF or World Athletics, we tend to air them. And hence, there's a, a lot of discussion. I don't know if football seems to be a little bit more quiet about uh, their issues. But um, I, I think we, it's, it's time to tackle these issues head on. There just seems to be a, a shift in the landscape of looking inwardly and making changes. And I do believe athletics is really trying to do that. My question would be, 
is football. You know, the, the amount of young people, grassroots, community, football, and all the way right up to Premier League level. They need to really start having a conversation about how the sport is really being governed. There seems to be, as I said, a real disconnect there, a disgruntled individuals, fans aren't happy. And and it's a shame. Football should be leading the way on good governance. It should be the role model that other sports look to. And frankly, I just don't think it has been that. And that's why you were happy to uh, join in the group that I'm part of, Saving the Beautiful Game, a manifesto for change. I mean, I think you're, you're, you're an Arsenal fan, aren't you? <laughs> I'm an Arsenal fan. And if you if you could actually see Where my office, I, I think it was, you know, I, I didn't grow up with um, my, my father. Um, my mum was a, a loose football fan um, from the Midlands. Um, so obviously I'm going to get booed and hissed right now. Um, <laughs> um, and so I think my Arsenal days came from moving to London and I moved to Northwest London. Um, at the time, I was very much coached by a Dutch coach um, who went on to be the head coach at, um, for British Athletics. He's now back in Holland. And I think Arsenal were were the team that it was like, you know, you're either going to, which one of the London teams are you going to adopt? And it made sense. Um, Over Mars was that Arsenal at the time. Um, and I just really liked their style of play. I liked the flair. And I was traveling back and forth to Holland. And so that was the conversation for me. I've got to ask you as well, you mentioned uh, back with athletics, the, the way the sport has had to face up to it, the drugs problems and the problems with the Russians uh, and, and all the allegations there have been. Do you think athletics is getting to the bottom now, finally, of the drugs abuse problem that you know your generation suffered from and seems to have been going on for an amazingly long period of time? I'd like to think so. I think um, the testing, if you look at to the last um, few championships and how um, how many medals have been awarded back to to athletes that finished fourth, fifth, and even sixth in some events um, that were robbed of their medals at the time in world and uh, and and Olympics, it shows you that the system is working. But I would also say. Uh, um, that athletics tends to to highlight these issues. We know they're there, but not trying to hide them or some individuals have been trying to hide it, but in, invariably we're trying, I think, desperately to, to clean up the sport. I would challenge that, you know, there are probably other sports that um, could do better on that front. Um, but I think ours is quite robust and it's getting that consistency and that consistent message around all the countries in the world Um that there is zero tolerance to to drug taking and cheating in the sport. And what does zero tolerance mean? I mean, does it mean lifetime bans or does it mean uh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, and somewhere in between? Um, as you know, the I think the GB stance, it would be very much, you know, lifetime bans. As you know, in uh, for British athletes, you get um, a, a drug positive drug test you do have a life ban from competing for team gb and that's strong and that's come from within that's talking to the athletes that are driven that stance and other countries are, are very different um 
I, I do feel that we focus very much and have done until very recently on the athletes in question. But you have to remember that some of the coaches that perpetuate this um, ethical problem, you know, young athletes coming into the sport, that they have been overlooked in recent times. Sometimes it's, it's the race agent, it's, you know, but predominantly the, 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 the coaches that are there for 20 years, you know, and and not teaching young athletes about the correct ethics. Um, they're the people that we should be looking to as well, the, the perpetrators in and around these athletes, whether it's doctors um, and the support teams that um, I don't know too many young athletes that walk into the sport and say, please, can you give me drugs? I don't believe it works like that. It's, it's the personnel in and around the individuals, around training groups that um, the focus and the spotlight should be on as well. At a time like this, I, I also should ask you about another problem that athletics and other sports, not least uh, football, have faced, and that, that's the problem of racism. Was it something that you experienced in your career that you think affected you and your career? Not my career, not my athletics career at all. Um, I think athlete, athletics predominantly do really well. You know, the focus is very much on performance. It's it's very, very sort of, you know, you, you pass, first person past the post, you get the time, you get the distance, you get the throw, you're on, you're in a team. I think where athletes have found issues is when, you know, black athlete travels to um, somewhere in Europe and they're sort of walking around the towns in preparation for an event, let's say on the, the um, Diamond League circuit. And, you know, they'll be called out. There'll be a racist, um, some racist abuse. And that athlete doesn't have to feel that they have anywhere to go to, to tell someone that this has happened to me before I actually hit the track. So I would say for myself, no, I've always had a, a great experience in athletics, uh, right from, you know, a young girl coming through the sport to the very top. Um, but that's not to say that it doesn't exist and it's not prevalent in for some people. But I do think we have quite a good balance, definitely um, for competing athletes. Um, we are focusing very much on, you know, coaches, the board, you know, how, do we have a diverse board in uh, UK athletics? Um, so there's still a lot of work to be done um, for not, um, inclusivity as well, not just race, but um uh, gender inclusivity. Um, and, and so I think these these conversations just need to happen and they need not just lip service to the problem. It's, it's really uh, uh, examining oneself and saying, could you do more? And if what, in, in, and how can we be better? And that's, I think, the driving force that should be across sports right now. And athletics has always seemed to me as an outsider to, to seem less uh, open to criticism for the way it treats women in your sport because it's so women are so predominant in it and you know women can dominate for example we might talk in a in a few moments about um prospects for medals in, in the in the olympics in tokyo but and then and that that will be dominated by women i suspect i mean but i mean is 
Do you think women's sport generally is still being a little shortchanged? I mean, I noticed that none of the biggest women's tournaments in 2021 that were planned for 2021 are going ahead, uh, including the Women's Athletics European Championships. I mean, this is, um, I take those two things there. Yes, we know because of COVID, a lot of women's sports were, were literally just stopped just stopped not even a second thought of how you know how can we how quickly can we get women's sport back um up and playing um it just didn't seem to be a conversation for most of 2020 i think athletics have always done well over the decades we've had more events put on the program and i think triple jump steeplechase for women uh, pole vault for women. Um, so I think athletics in terms of gender balance has always been good and it's it's improving and success is getting, is, is sort of tipping the balance. You know, women are getting better and and getting more medals at world and Olympic level, which is, is a great thing. Um, and I think that comes down to, it's always been um, showcased together, men and women, participating alongside each other, which then attracts sponsors, your visibility matters, especially in women's sport. And athletics has always benefited from having that duality, um, which is is fantastic. Um, And that's why I think for, for young athletes or young sports people, they gravitated in their droves to, to athletics for that reason, because there was always someone that looked like somebody that, in, in society competing, which is which is great. Um, but if you fast forward to, yes, you mentioned um, Team GB and, and the prospects there, we saw a better balance of medals. Women are coming to really rising. Women are really rising in sports. And if you just think to the potential medalists that we could have um, across the landscape out in Tokyo, um, obviously, first names that spring to mind for me are, are, are Dina Asher-Smith um, in athletics, Jade Jones, Taekwondo, um, Laura Kenny, one of the athletes that possibly would have benefited from that year because um, she's coming off having a, her baby a couple of years ago. Charlotte Dujardin in uh, equestrian. I mean, she has been so dominant over the last uh, couple of Olympic cycles, but still still incredibly talented and I'd be surprised if she doesn't win yet another gold medal. Um, yeah, it's just, there. Are, the list goes on. The list goes on. And, you know, we look forward to sort of next year when um, the European women's football will take place as well. And, you know, the Lionesses were fantastic at the last major tournament. And, you know, we don't want that growth to be hampered by lack of visibility. We need sponsors to start taking more risks and realise that there's so much untapped potential in women's sport. Um, funding brings results. Sponsorship brings results. The, the sponsors are important. The broadcasters are also important to athletics, financially, of course, and how they showcase the game. Uh, it, or the sport in 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 your case, do, do you think broadcasters struggle a bit with the coverage of athletics? You know, with with the stop start nature of some events. And if you're at one end of the stadium, 
you can't you, you come in two places at once and sometimes the, the the big event seems to be the other end of the stadium is it is it a problem do you think the broadcasting of 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 athletics <laughs> i think it's I think that people watching athletics think it is, you know, why is this not being shown? Why is that? It is so complex. It's difficult because to keep the audience engaged, you've got to be able to tell the narrative. You've got to tell the story of the drama that's unfolding between within a competition. And so, yes, Triple Jump might be having a change of leads and you need to be able to see that. Um, But... For too long, and I maybe that is because of the Bolt area, we have focused very much on track events. Um, it's easy to see. It's easy to tell that story. You know, um, you don't need to think too much. But it is track and field. You know, we need to see more field events. And there's a lot, has been in recent times, a lot of complaints about we'd like to see more field. It's so exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm a lover of field first, I think, than, than track. But um, it isn't easy for broadcasters and everyone thinks they can come in and, and do it. I am particularly proud of how the BBC do cover um, the, the sport um, and have tried to maintain a level of visibility. But it isn't easy. Having sitting in the studio and trying to tell those stories in real time is is a challenge. Um but I, I challenge anyone to think that they could do it any better. I really, it's it's not easy at all. I'm unashamedly somebody who who loves his athletics because of some of the great dramas that have unfolded. Some of the great sporting moments of my life have have come from being lucky enough to go to the Beijing Olympics. And then, of course, London. You may not know this. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I was one of the five chief executives who sat with the BOA on a wet Thursday afternoon in the British Museum and announced that London would bid for the uh, Olympic Games of 2012. And uh, I persuaded various people in government that actually a World Cup wasn't an easier option to stage because we probably wouldn't win the staging of a World Cup. So I'd, that was I was thrilled with that moment and thrilled that actually the country got behind the the Olympics of 2012 in such a fantastic way. Uh, and then you have the drama of the sport. I mean, everybody talks about the the famous Saturday evening mm. in that Olympic stadium. I mean, was that other than your own performance, which are just performances, which I want to come to, was that the greatest day for athletic British athletics? Do you think? Not only for Super Saturday was probably you know everyone can tell you where they were for Super Saturday. It was just extraordinary. Um, but I think for Britain as a whole, the way the rest of the world viewed our capabilities of, of putting on and hosting um, the Olympics, I think um, there's so many levels of, you know, tick boxing exercises where I feel, yes, we nailed that. Yes, we got that right. Our volunteers were outstanding, um, really a centrepiece. Uh, the opening ceremony was dual. And then you top it off with excellent performances across the board and you're left with the legacy which is that feel-good factor and that part of 
your memory where you go back to a very warm place because it made you feel proud to be British, you know, and that for me was a great legacy. Um, yeah, I, I, outside of my own performance in Sydney, it is still one of my highlights. I mean, I cried Tears we when we won did. the bid. No, when we won the bid, you know, I remember there I was part tears of it. that <laughs> night. I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, I, I was out there, you know, part of the presentation team with uh, Sebco and yeah. um, the late Tessa Jowell, who was absolutely amazing just having her around. Um, and, you know, we sat there huddled, waiting for, to go back into the sort of uh, auditorium to hear the, the announcement and as I said, that when that envelope opened and they read oh. London out, oh my gosh, like, it gives me goosebumps now. And yeah. I just knew the, the country would understand the power of sport. You know, it took a while. Obviously, there was the naysayers and people that said, you know, get out of London, don't be here. There was all of that. But I knew that the day the opening ceremony and the first day of sport took place, that everyone's there would be a, a seismic shift in in the feeling and that connection of that of the public to the sporting endeavour and how and why it's so important to get it right. Let's talk about your fantastic achievements in the sport itself. I mean, when you look back on that time, when did you actually think I'm special at this? sport and I can go right to the top? Probably after my Commonwealth Games victory in 1994, um, outsider of a medal, but it was my first senior vest. And um, I, I was very much aware after that competition, um, not just because I won, but the validation for me that I know I can be better. And, you know, what I've done to this point probably pales by comparison to what I need to do to be better. Um, it was just a, an eye-opener for me. Uh, and that was a change in mindset and a realisation of how much I wanted to go to the next level, which is, you know, becoming uh, an Olympic athlete. And if I say to you, try and give us an idea of how much work went into, even in those last few months before winning the Olympic gold, how much work went into that day in, day out? Um, I think that it's truth, truth, the truth of the matter. You, there's no, um, there's no hiding place in athletics. You know, there's, um, it is very much work every day, twice a day, training sessions, you know, three hours in the morning, maybe another couple in the evening. And it is relentless because it's everything in between that. It's the physiotherapy. It's the mentally staying with it and engaged. It's the decision-making. It's the training process, trying to get that right to minimise injuries. You know, you've got seven events, all very different in its complexities. And so it's time-consuming and, and getting that support team around you because there will be injuries, there will be setbacks, but it's how you can minimise those and how you can actually, whatever happens, get on that start line. That takes a great deal of communication and persistence and commitment. Did you have days when you thought, 
actually, this is too much for me. No. Never? No, no. It's not, it's too much. I mean, when you get injured, it's it's soul-destroying, but then it's about changing the focus. It's how quickly can I get back to doing what I love? You know, I was not going to be happy until I got a gold medal. Having got the bronze in 96, you know, Sydney was really my focus. And despite the injury that nearly threatened that gold medal, I was low. I questioned why me when I was injured, but I was never getting mentally off that, that horse. It was, I wanted to be an Olympic gold medalist. Are you envious of today's athletes? Um, not anymore. I think when I first retired, there was a little bit of envy. You know, I wasn't going to be able to do what I love doing. Um, but I think there's great opportunity, um, especially for women athletes these days. I just, um, I think, you know, I, I was in an era where you're still having to convince people why women's sport mattered you know, and explain yourself. Well, I do heptathlon. It's the daily Thompson equivalent, you know, so the broadsheets and whatnot kind of still didn't quite get it. And you sort of felt very much on your own. And now we've got fantastic women's teams, you know, that have become world champions, cricket, rugby, um, uh, you know, f- football is is in its women's football is in its you know ascendancy, and we have fantastic world champions in in single events as well. And so, I'm not envious, but I'm proud at the, uh, the tenacity and the resilience of women in sport. Not only the doers, the the athletes themselves, but the administrators that are shouting behind closed doors about the relevance of their their sports and why and and the ones that are hustling to try and to get sponsorship for women's sports I, I I'm proud of it the whole chain and that whole piece is going in a direction that can only lead to better and bigger of course this in this Olympic year as a mother of four children and someone who's been doing homeschooling, I think. Um, were you prepared for life after athletics? Um, not really. Not prepared mentally to how much, what a void it would be. But I think you do learn to to move on because uh, you, you have to. You can't just stay in the past. And I think particularly, you know, I, I retired in sort of 2005. So I've had a long time to get over it. And what's important to me now is how I use my voice and what difference I can really make across the sporting landscape, things that really matter to me, how I can elevate other other women in sport, whether that's, you know, a quick telephone conversation, it's making decisions on the board that I sit on, which is Commonwealth Games England. I'm, I'm particularly proud of the things we achieve on that board. Um, in and around gender balance, you know, making sure that we're active, we're dynamic, we're moving forward and and definitely around diversity, you know, that is really high on our agenda. Every board meeting that we have, it's not a footnote as it is on some or in some organisations. Um, and so it is about what my own personal legacy of what I've learnt what I can do and, and elevation. Something, though, that will 
perhaps having heard you speak so candidly and so clearly today, people might ask, what, did you ever think about full-time coaching yourself? Um, I didn't think about full-time coaching, even though I I feel that it should be of call of duty. But again, I, I and I'm not making excuses. I just feel it's very challenging uh, coaching, and especially in athletics, because it's so poorly funded. I think we don't we, a we don't have enough women's women's coaches in any sport, as far as I can see. Um, we definitely haven't got enough women's coaching at elite level, and I probably should have done that. I went a different route at um, that sort of crux, that turning point. You know, no one sits down and gives you a, a sort of a life skills lesson of what, what to do next. You know, these are decisions that you make very much on the hoof. Um, it may be different now nowadays with the athletes and the EIS, um, that athletes can get advice now. Institute for Sport. Yeah, yeah. yeah, English Institute for Sport. And I think thus we're finding athletes are segueing into coaching and into um, administration far easier than I think maybe in my time and the era before me. Um, it just wasn't a sort of a conversation. And so therefore it's, it's making sure that athletes that are approaching retirement have a clear understanding of what their options might look like. Um, I think it's difficult for athletes that haven't had much funding and are struggling with making the decisions, well, how can I actually pay my mortgage or start a family and become a really good coach when there is so little money in it? And I think those are some of the limiting factors for, for, for many people that I think could be very good coaches. And yeah, we need to make sure that we're not losing uh, potential coaches because of poor funding. So let's look ahead then to these Olympics that we hope so much will take place with whatever uh, number of spectators we see in the st in the stadia in uh, in Tokyo who are who will be particularly the female household names do you think here in in England in the UK in GB after Tokyo Oh, well, as I, I, I gave you a few athletes there yeah. um, earlier, which um, I think Dina Asher-Smith, you know, I know she's already becoming a household name. I think, you know, the beauty of the Olympics is that it's it's aired across the globe. Um, and so what, however successful she is now, I think she will elevate that should she become, get a medal. I'd love her to get a gold in, if not two events one event, maybe three, who knows? Um, Jade Jones, I mean, she's been formidable. As I said, in Taekwondo, again, already a gold medalist. Um, she could easily pick up another one. Um, and Charlotte Dujardin, um, dominant in women's equestrian. So we have many options. We have, and we'll see, I predict, more medals for women than men. I'm smiling. You can't see it. But I'm, really smiling. <laughs> I'm smiling. <laughs> um, and that's great. In athletics, though, specifically. Oh, yes. In specifically in athletics, I'm hoping Katerina Johnson-Thompson, although she's nursing an injury at the moment, she um, will be back fighting fit. Um, we've got some really talented youngsters. Um, Keely Hodgkinson, who's been running amazing. did so well in the well. indoors. Yes, she did. She did. And she was phenomenal. But it, 
I'm not saying it's it's a stretch, but what you look for is athletes that are able to make finals. And then once they make the finals, it's any girl's game. And, you know, she's showing the the racing brain that you'd like to see um, on the world stage. She showed it definitely at the indoors and she's tipped, tipped for great success. Um, wow, who else? And it is really in that middle distance space where we have a number of athletes that are pushing each other on to better performances. Gemma Riki. Loved Gemma Riki. Yeah. Yeah, she, she's a training partner of Laura Muir, who is equally very of capable of picking up a medal or two, potentially, depends if she's doubling up. And so that already is a seismic shift in, in women's athletics. You know, a whole host of names that potentially could pick up a medal. You know something, Denise? I'm so old that I remember Roger Bannister breaking the four-minute mile barrier. Uh, and the excitement in in the country from I was only a young kid, believe it or not, and that excitement was was you you could touch in those days. Something I that I that I do wonder about though you 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 have personal bests and then you have European records and world records. Are we going to go on? Are are us human beings going to go on breaking records? As 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 we've got used to in this generation, why not? I mean, the thing is, it's not just about and 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 we we could talk for, about this, but I'm just going to put a nod to it. You know, this whole conversation about the spikes and how much benefit you know the advancements made in technology in in spikes uh, are playing across athletics at the moment. Why not? You know. No one predicted um, that Usain Bolt would do what he did in the one and two hundred meters. You know, we thought those records were probably pretty much set after Michael Johnson, mm. um, but then came Wade Van Niekerk and breaks Michael Johnson's record in Rio, and so it records will fall. They will, whether it's you know, more advancements in, in, in training and how we train. Um, our, our, our young people seem to be getting taller. Do you not notice that? I mean, you I, know, I, they're getting taller. I have. Um, uh, <laughs> nutrition, understanding about the improvements in nutrition. Um, we shouldn't limit ourselves. Um, I don't think there'll be an abundance, but you have to be always prepared that human endeavor can surprise you. Um, I mean, there's there's a good chance that the men's 400 meter hurdles record will go this this year. It's was so close uh, last year, you know. And so I just say I'm open minded. I'm open minded. Men's javelin also could go. Denise, a final thought. How does Denise Lewis relax these days? <laughs> Not very well. <laughs> <laughs> I I need to relax more. There's uh, so much, uh, you know, as you alluded to earlier, that, that homeschooling nearly was the, the, the death of me. <laughs> um, you know, the fight for, for broadband space. Um, I, I tend to, at the, in the wee hours, cuddle up on my sofa with my little comfort blanket and, and watch Netflix. That seems to be my uh, little comfort and go-to place. Um, I've tried to get into um, 
some iBooks as well, because I'm really conscious that I, I haven't had the time to read. I don't make time for it. Um, even when I go on holiday, you know, I'm always, and there's always an eye on the children. I cannot relax, especially if they're near water. So, yeah. um, yeah, iBooks seem to be the way forward when I go and walk my dog. That seems to be giving me great comfort these days. Denise Lewis, it's been a pleasure and a privilege as I knew it would be, as I said right at the start. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks for having me, David. Thank you.